0: These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look.
1: Greetings. Good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the Coffee with Jeff podcast, the podcast in which I find a subject I would like to know more about and then force that knowledge onto you, the podcast subscriber. This is episode 230. There once was a talented four-year-old boy that became a star in the movies. He could sing and act and look cute as a button, but when he grew into adulthood, he had issues with relationships, authorities, and drugs. Now, that description could have been about any number of child actors, but this story is about Scotty Beckett, who played in the R Gang shorts and went on to play a character named Winky before... Today, I have a depressing story of a troubled man. fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000 like I am, you'll know who I'm talking about. For those unfamiliar with MST3K, as we call it, it's a TV show in which a human and two robots make fun of movies while it's playing. Now back in the early days of the show, two of the movies they used for their wisecracks was Manhunt in Space and Crash of the Moons. They were Rocky Jones' Space Ranger stories edited from the 1954 TV show. Rocky Jones was one of the only 1950s television shows that was shot on film rather than live in the studio, so it was perfect for editing into features. Anyway, one character MST3K made fun of was Winky, Rocky Jones' comic sidekick. Winky was played by an actor named Scotty Beckett, and Scotty, well... He had issues, and things didn't end well. Now, there's a lot of child actors that have problems making it into adulthood, but Scotty's might be one of the most tragic. His career started early. He was a California kid who was born on October fourth, nineteen 1929, in Oakland. He was discovered while entertaining his father, who was sick and in the Cedars of Lebanon Hospital. He was singing songs like Shuffle Off to Buffalo and In the Good Old Summertime, but he was singing them in pig Latin. The nurses took notice and took him around to entertain other patients. Another patient at the hospital was a casting director for Columbia Pictures, Walter Lang. Lang was amused by Scotty and gave him a small toy dog. And because of Lang, the four-year-old Scotty got a small role in the 1933 film Gallant Lady alongside Dickie Moore. Now, if you've ever seen a picture of Scotty, you'll know that he was one of the cutest child actors ever, and he could sing and act. This led to a part in the R-Gang Shorts, the later years of the Little Rascals. He was in 15 of the R-Gang Shorts between 1934 and 1936. He played the character of Scotty. He also continued to play small roles in films, including Whom the Gods Destroy. For a while, it looked like the child was going to have a great acting career. He had good roles in such films as Dante's Inferno, Anthony's Adverse, The Charge of the Light Brigade, Conquest, Marie Antoinette, Elie Baba and the Forty Thieves, and King's Row. He acted along such stars as Spencer Tracy, Errol Flynn, Greta Garbo, Norma Shearer, Cary Grant, Irene Dunn, and Shirley Temple. That's quite a resume for a person who wasn't even old enough to shave. He continued his acting career through high school, acting both on the stage and screen. One of his biggest roles was in the Jolson story where he played young Al Jolson. When he was 18, things began to slip a little. He signed a contract with MGM in 1947, but the roles he was offered began to get smaller. While attending the University of Southern California, the teenager attempted to continue his acting career, but the pressure got a bit too much. On December 20th, 1948, he was behind the wheel when he made a wild turn on Sunset Boulevard. He was seen veering over the center line and crashing into another car. He was arrested on suspicion of drunk driving. At one point, he allegedly tried to get away from police, yelling, I want to go home, I won't go to jail. Scotty was convicted for getting behind the wheel after drinking bourbon at a frat party, and it resulted in a $150 fine. Over the next few years, he continued to get roles in films, and seemed to be making the transition into more adult roles. He starred in Gasoline Alley as Corky Wallet and its sequel, Corky of Gasoline Alley. Both films co-starred Jimmy Lydon, another young actor at the time. We'll get back to Lydon in a bit. Life must have been good for Scotty. He was a handsome young man who was going to college and acting in Hollywood. The future must have been all so bright. And then he fell in love. Well, I assume it was love that caused the 20-year-old to elope with tennis star Beverly Baker in 1949. The two were married in Las Vegas. And on the surface, they seemed like an adorable young couple, but, you know, things are not always what they seemed. Just four short months later, Beverly sued Scotty for divorce. She listed mental cruelty and bodily injury for the separation. She told the court that he was insolent, arrogant, abusive, belligerent, and jealous. A judge ordered Scotty pay her $225 a month as alimony. But by the end of the year, his ex-wife was engaged to another tennis star, and Scotty was also getting ready to get married again, this time to another Hollywood actor, Beverly J. Vickers, who acted under the name Sonny Vickers. The two were secretly married in Mexico. Now, Sonny's biggest films were Riding the Outlaw Trail, a western, and A Yanking Korea, both from 1951. The truth is... Sonny didn't have much of an acting career, and from what I've read, she suffered from alcoholism, which may be why she and Scotty got along so well. The couple had a son, Scott Jr., and maybe, just maybe, one would hope, that Scotty learned something from his first marriage and was determined to make this one work. One thing he certainly didn't learn was not to drive drunk. The same year as his marriage and the birth of his son, Scotty was seen driving at night without lights, hitting a curb and then another car. He was intoxicated and arrested once again. But by 1953, things were looking up. He was signed to play in a new MGM-TV space show that, unlike other shows at the time, wouldn't be done live but shot on film to allow for special effects. It was called Rocky Jones Space Ranger. The young adult actor now had a beautiful wife, a newborn son, and was starring in a revolutionary TV show. All was well, right? Well, not so much. A strange incident occurred on February 25, 1954. A man walked into the Cavalier Hotel on Wilshire Boulevard, pointed a gun at the clerk and took $137. The robber then struck the clerk on the head with his gun and left a note saying don't call police for 10 minutes. In the morning at around 7.15 a.m., Scotty Beckett was found sleeping in the basement shower room of the Cavalier Hotel with a gun in his possession and, according to the paper, $147 in his pocket. He claimed to have no idea how he got there due to his drinking the night before and, and didn't even remember where he had parked his car. Scotty was arrested on suspicion of robbery. He denied the charges, telling police that he now earned $500 a week for doing the TV show. The hotel clerk, who required four stitches, could not positively identify Scotty. He said, he does not look like the man. He was released on bail and, well, this is where things get really strange. Scotty was still making Rocky Jones, having like eight more shows to do for the current season, when he skipped bail. And by March 30th, 1954, a warrant had been issued for Scotty on violating the Weapons Control Act. And according to the paper, Scotty, his wife, and three-year-old son skipped bail and ran off to Mexico. And if I understand the story correctly, it goes like this. Three merchants in Mexico complained about bad checks that were being written for a non-existent San Francisco bank. When the Mexican police went to the hotel to question the family who were registered under the name Mr. and Mrs. Sean Bullock, they saw Scotty trying to sneak out a rear door. When the authorities ordered him to stop, a gunfight erupted. Twenty shots were fired, and luckily no one was hurt. Scotty, his wife and child, managed to make it to the car, but about 25 miles away, the car had a flat tire, and that's where they were arrested. He was imprisoned for four months in a Mexican jail with his wife and child before agreeing to be extradited back to the United States. An organization called Motion Pictures Mothers began raising money to square his Mexican bad check debt. Scotty, who had already filmed 26 episodes of Rocky Jones, was replaced by his co-star in the Gasoline Alley films, Jimmy Lydon. The show was soon canceled once the season was over. Later in life, Jimmy Lydon was interviewed by film historian Tom Weaver. Tom asked him about Scotty, and Jimmy said, Well, Scotty Beckett was a very bad young man. First of all, he was a very bad loser. Some people play cards on the set to while away the time between shots, while the crew is lighting and everything else. Well, Scotty Beckett played gin rummy and other games like that. And when he lost, he didn't pay anybody. Therefore, he had a very bad rep. Then he began to drink and all sorts of things that were not conductive to work every day in a quick series where you had to memorize dialogue. I don't mean to bum-rap a guy who's dead, but I don't mind with Scotty. He goes on to say that he doesn't think Scotty was well-liked by the other actors on Rocky Jones. He also said he believed that the hotel incident was caused by Scotty writing bad checks to some bad people, and when he didn't pay off those checks... These bad people set him up with the hotel robbery, making it look like he was the crook. Who knows for certain. Strangely, Scotty was only charged with felony knife possession. All other charges were dropped, including the robbery. I'm guessing that it was because the shootout happened in Mexico, and that's why he wasn't charged? I don't know. Anyway, he pleaded guilty to the one charge, and after all this trouble, he was fined just $200 and put on probation. His probation included a ban on partaking of alcoholic beverages or frequenting any place that they were served. After his release, he planned on getting back into acting. I hope to pick up the pieces, he told the press. But by December, he was arrested again, and again it was for bad checks. You know, sometimes don't you want to just go back in time to slap somebody in the face and say, Get your life together, man! Over the next few years, he got a few small roles on TV, but not much. He had pretty much given up on acting. He tried other career paths, such as selling real estate, then selling cars, and he twice enrolled at universities with the intention of becoming a medical doctor. In 1957, the now 27-year-old again was in the news. He was arrested at the Mexican border on drug charges. He was caught coming back into the United States with more than 200 stimulant capsules on his possession. He said the drugs had been prescribed for his wife by a Chihuahua Mexican physician. Scotty told reporters, I am not in trouble. In August of 1957, Beverly Jane Beckett, the actress Sonny Vickers, filed for divorce. Now, in an odd twist, Scotty began seeking to take custody of their five-year-old boy, saying that she should only have limited visits and only when she was not under the influence of alcohol. Hmm, I think that perhaps neither of these two were capable of raising a child. I say that because in September of that same year, Scotty was taken to the hospital after an overdose of drugs. He was seriously ill, in a coma caused by narcotics or sleeping pills. Some thought it was a suicide attempt, though the newspaper stories at the time seemed to vary about his actual condition. He was up and about a few days later. In 1959, he crashed his car into a tree, which resulted in a broken hip and fractured skull. Yes, he was drunk again, and these injuries would bother him for the rest of his life. While in court, he began acting very wild and even started tearing off his clothes. In 1961 he got married again this time to a woman named margaret sabo margaret had a teenage daughter from a previous marriage named susan and it was around this time some more of scotty's strange behavior made the news according to the ventura county free press he hit himself on the head with a vase and then after that he locked his 70 year old mother out of the house and was eventually arrested He was also arrested for attacking his neighbor with a knife. Margaret filed for divorce in 63, saying that Scotty gave her little love and affection. A bit later, the 14-year-old daughter dropped by his house to pick up some clothes. He struck her with his crutch, resulting in another arrest. There was another suicide attempt and a psychiatric examination, Finally, after being sentenced to 180 days in a county jail, he said, I'm never going to take another drink again. Damn it, Scotty, about freaking time. And over the next few years, he seemed to stay out of trouble. But then in May of 1968, he staggered into the Royal Palms Hotel, a Hollywood nursing home. He had been beaten severely, in which many assumed was a drug deal gone wrong. Six days later, Scotty was dead apparently from either an overdose of alcohol or barbiturates. It was believed to be another suicide attempt, his third, and this time, well, he got it right. There's a story that he left behind a partially written suicide note, but if so, it has never been made public. Scotty Beckett was only 38 years old. Now, to make this story even sadder, his second wife, Sunny Vickers, died six months later. Whether this had anything to do with her alcoholism or not, I can't say. I couldn't find any information about her death, but she was only 40 years old. Their son, Scotty Jr., was only 17 when both his parents died. That's a bit of a depressing story, right? Well, you know what? I don't want to end it there. Hold on. Hey, Chauncey, do we have time for one quick short story? We do? Thanks. Okay, great. Now, last episode, you might remember, I did three short stories about amazing women. I actually had a fourth that I was going to tell, but there wasn't enough time. So here's the other story that was deleted from episode 229. Now, I've never been a fan of smoking. In fact, I don't understand smoking and I wish everybody would just stop. But I also support people's right to smoke if they please. It's their business. And as long as I don't have to breathe their smoke, go ahead and hurt yourself. Let me say, if you do smoke, think about giving it up. Anyway, here's the thing. The right to smoke should be the same for everybody. But in the year 1908, there was a New York City alderman who didn't agree with that. His name was Timothy Sullivan, but he was known as Little Tim because his distinguished cousin was known as Big Tim Sullivan. Now, there were many people at the time who thought that women smoking was just wrong and they definitely didn't like to see them do it in public. Little Tim said while he never saw a woman smoking on the streets of New York, he was sure that he would lose all respect for a lady if he did. And Tim was under a lot of pressure to do something about it. Christian lobbyists, like those from the Women's Christian Temperance Union, pressured him and other lawmakers to address the problems of ladies and cigarettes. This led to a proposed ordinance forbidding public smoking by ladies. Of course, men, apparently, could smoke anywhere they pleased, but, you know. I don't know whether this is constitutional or not, little Tim said, according to the New York Times, but that doesn't make any difference. Public opinion is for it. And I never knew of an ordinance that brought so many letters to the men that introduced it. If public opinion is for a thing, it doesn't matter about the constitutionality. You know, I I could be wrong here, but I think that... uh, any elected official who says the Constitution doesn't matter shouldn't be in office. But maybe that's just me. Anyway, it was known as the Sullivan Ordinance and it passed quickly on January 21st, 1908. This act just didn't ban females from smoking in the streets and parks of the Big Apple, but also privately owned businesses like restaurants, stores and hotels. For you younger kids out there, you must remember that before the 21st century, People were allowed to smoke everywhere. Anyway, many restaurants quickly rebelled, fearing they would lose business. They put up signs saying, Lady Smokers are welcome. The law took effect on January 22nd. The day after, a woman whose name was Katie Malkahay struck a match against the stone wall of a Bowery District building and lit a cigarette. Apparently, unaware of the new law, she looked dumbfounded and confused as she was arrested by a nearby police officer. This was probably most likely what the backers of the new law wanted, an arrest to bring attention to the new ordinance. But Katie was both outspoken and stubborn. In court, she protested, telling the judge, I've got as much right to smoke as you have. I've never heard of this new law, and I don't want to hear about it. No man shall dictate me. The arrest did have the effect of bringing attention to the new law, but probably not in the way the backers had hoped. While certain groups were happy, much of the public opinion was in support of Katie. And remember, this was at a time when many were fighting for women's rights, including the right to vote. So to them, this was a cause worth fighting for. For Katie, she was given a $5 fine, but she refused to pay it. And then after looking closer at the wording of the new law, it said nothing about a fine or punishment, so Katie was released the next day not having to pay the $5, and no record was ever made of her arrest. She was the first and only person arrested for breaking Sullivan's law. Two weeks later, the mayor of New York, George B. McClellan, Jr., vetoed the law and stricken it from the books. I know of no provision of law which gives the Board of Aldermen the power to enact an ordinance of this kind, he said. <coughs> before I go, I hope it was clear that I wasn't poking fun at Scotty. The man needed help, and I find it sad that he never found it. I'm often amazed that a person who is constantly in trouble, watching their lives go down the drain, don't at some point say, this isn't working, can somebody help me? And you know, I never could find any information about his son, Scott Jr. As far as I can tell, he's still alive somewhere. As far as the second story about Katie Mulcahy and the New York short-lived woman's ban on smoking, I couldn't find any verification that Katie Mulcahy was a real person. Oh, little Tim and the new ordinance was definitely real. But for Katie, all the information comes from a HistoryDaily.org article. And I went through a lot of newspapers from the time, on newspapers.com and i could find no mention of katie or her arrest there were two or three stories about the actual ordinance and about how it only lasted two weeks but that was it and of course that doesn't mean it's not a true story but i do like to verify these things so but it was a fun one so what the hey but anyway how about the ending credits You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Fuller's entertainment podcast. Thank you for listening. You know, it takes money to create the show. If you'd like to help me out, think about donating to my Patreon account. You can find a link to it at my website, Coffee with Jeff. If you can't do that, why don't you just tell your friends about it or repost it or something? I'd be grateful. You can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. And you can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you can join. Be one of the cool people. Links to all the sources that I used to write today's episode are available at Transistor.fm's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. You can find a link at the Coffee with Jeff website. I want to thank my wife of 37 years for being my wife of 37 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to this show every week, thank you so much. And a special shout out to all of you who repost this on social media. You have a special place in my heart. Thanks for listening and I'll be back in 2 weeks.
0: Coffee with Jeff. Coffee Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream. Didn't like it, now he never looks back. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee on coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff